0: I'm so excited for this book today. It's such a beautiful story. Before we jump in, let's ask God to reveal His beauty to us through it. (sighs) Father, what a shining example of faith young Ruth is. Someone we never would have expected to be so faithful, and yet she handed over her life into Your hands. Trusting you to work through your people to give her a new future, to give her hope, to give her redemption. God, I pray that you would reveal to us the things that we still grasp onto for significance. You would soften our hearts and help us cast off all those things to lose ourselves in your story and find redemption Find redemption, God, in your work, through your name. Amen. In 1976, Pulitzer Prize winner Laurel Ulrich wrote a book titled, Well-Behaved Women Seldom Make History. She critiqued the quiet lives of pious women from the colonial era and wanted something far better, wanted to inspire women to great things. So she searched history for examples of courageous women who shook up their worlds and made a name for themselves. She appealed to the desires of every woman wanting to be significant, wanting to be known and have a purpose in this world. Her goal was to inspire the women of her generation, to make some noise. Don't settle for ordinary. Don't let the men get all the notoriety in the world. Go, make a name for yourself. Women throughout history have been rather vulnerable in the world. Creational realities leave women in positions of weakness and dependence, relying on others for provision and protection. And sadly, throughout history, all too often, men have not come to their aid, but have taken advantage of their vulnerability. Which has led to this feminist movement of the last 50 years, encouraging women to no longer hide under the glory of men, but to go and achieve a name for themselves. But the way to lasting significance is not by making a name for yourself, but finding refuge under the name of God. And the book of Ruth tells this beautiful story of redemption of one of the most vulnerable women in all of history whose name is remembered not for her own greatness but for her faith in her great God. Her story has lasted thousands of years. Her faithfulness remembered for generations. Her devotion inspiring many to ordinary trust in an extraordinary God. This book of Ruth isn't just a story to tell all the women in the room to be quiet and submissive. It's, also, it's not a promise that your name will be remembered for thousands of years like Ruth. The message of this book is not to call women to be more like Ruth and men be more like Boaz. The primary call of this beautiful love story is for all of us to lose yourself in God's story. To find redemption in his name. All of us. Every single person in this room. Is like Ruth. None of us are a Boaz. We're all weak and vulnerable and need a rescuer. We need a provider. And this story is meant to point us to the Redeemer who can pull every single one of us out of our despair and employ our privileges and our our opportunities toward a lasting purpose. Not for our names to be remembered, but for God's name to spread throughout the earth in every generation. So to draw you into the beauty of this amazing story, instead of giving you a, a, an outline, a structural outline like I usually do to kind of walk you through the parts of the book, we're just going to look at this story through the perspective of the three main characters. Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz. First, Naomi, an unfortunate victim. She got caught up in the mess of her circumstances and choices made by other people And trapped in despair. But then we turn to Ruth and her unlikely faith. Ruth was even worse off than Naomi, yet she trusted that Naomi's God had something better for her. And finally, we get to marvel at Boaz, an uncommon hero. After seeing how terrible things are in the land of Israel during the time of Judges, Boaz shines as a diamond in the rough. A man devoted to God down to every last detail of the law. These three characters lead us to delight not in the potential of humanity, but in the sovereign, merciful provision of a good God. They call us, just like them, to lose ourselves in God's story, to find redemption in His name. So we're going to start with our unfortunate victim in Naomi. The first five verses of this book give the context, the setting of this dramatic love story. Verse 1 tells us, In the days when the judges ruled, there was famine in the land. There's a lot of information given in that short sentence. If you remember from a couple of weeks ago about the book of Judges, you recall how terrible things were at the time. Remember the repeated refrain The people of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Even their heroes were barely passable examples of faith. The entire land filled with rebels. And God promised them in the law that if they are unfaithful, there will be serious physical consequences for their disobedience. You read in Deuteronomy 28, just this long list of curses, The land will be fruitless. The livestock will decrease. The ground will be like powder. The vineyards will wither. Pests will destroy every crop. And their wombs would be barren. That's exactly what these opening lines of the book of Ruth are telling us. There's famine in the land because of the people's unfaithfulness. And this famine drove the family out of their hometown in Bethlehem to find help. In a foreign land. If only they understood that the root of the problem wasn't simply a scientific ecological phenomenon. But it was unfaithfulness. They could have stayed and called the land, the people in the land back to fruitfulness. But instead they went to find fruit. In the land of another God. Which just led them further into trouble. This family moves to Moab. Naomi, her husband Elimelech, and their two sons. And while they're there, Elimelech, the family leader, dies. Leaving her two sons as the ones responsible for caring for this family. But instead of taking them back to Israel to find wives, to bear children with them, who will worship the same God as them, they... Fine, they ignore God's prohibition to marry foreign women, and they marry, they take for themselves Moabite wives. These are not just any foreigners, but Moabites. Moabites. These people worship the God Kemosh, and the primary way you worship Him is by giving Him your children as a sacrifice. These people are so cursed more than any generation. They're cursed unto the 10th generation for their wickedness. And then only five verses into the book, it gets worse. Naomi's sons die, leaving her without a husband, without an heir, without a home, and with these two young pagan girls that she can't provide for. The circumstances of this life and all the choices of others have piled on her, leaving her completely vulnerable and utterly hopeless. In verse 8, she urges the girls, just go home. You've got no chance to survive with me. I have nothing. Verse 10, again, she pleads with them, just leave me to go die by myself in my misery. Isn't that how suffering often goes? Something difficult happens in your life and it blinds you to any glimmer of hope. Makes us think that it's best just to be left alone. We push people away from us when God says it's best to be together with them. Other people are usually God's means of restoring hope to us, as we will see in Naomi's own life. But suffering makes us doubt God's good plans. See, in verse 13, Naomi says she's become so bitter because God's hand is against her. One thing we can be certain of as you read through these four short chapters is that God is in control of every step of this story. And yet, Naomi can't see it because of her suffering. And she pushes away his provision. So now desperate, Naomi does the only thing she can think of. One tiny faithful thing. She just turns around and goes home. She convinces one of the girls to go back to Moab. But she knows the impossibility of this circumstance. Because she knows the laws of her people. Property in Israel only passes down through the male descendants. And all of hers just died. She can't go home. Because she has no home. Elimelech owned the home, not her. She doesn't have sons to take the land and, and rebuild. When she arrives back in Bethlehem, the women try to welcome her and she just sulks. Do not call me Naomi, meaning pleasant. Call me Mara, meaning bitter for the almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Instead of Losing herself in God's redemptive story, Naomi got lost in her own despair. But God was still working that redemption right in front of her eyes. Even though she couldn't see it at first, there was still a step of faith to grow into. And that redemption was unfolding in an extremely improbable character named Ruth, a person of an unlikely faith. We've already seen how Ruth has no business as a Moabite being part of an Israelite family. Deuteronomy 23 says, No Moabite may enter the assembly of the Lord even to the 10th generation. They are a cursed people with cursed offspring. No good thing comes out of Moab. But Ruth reveals something important to us about God's character. It doesn't matter what you've done in your past, where you've come from, that defines you, but in whom you place your trust. Ruth is a beautiful opportunity for God to reveal his own heart toward all people. Throughout the Old Testament, God says he has a special place in his heart for three categories of people. The foreigner or sojourner, the widow and the orphan. Search those words and they are everywhere. Everywhere. Israelites are commanded to show them special favor to draw them into God's loving provision because they, of all people, should remember that they once were foreigners and widows and orphans and God rescued them and has provided abundantly for them. These three kinds of people are especially vulnerable because they have no inheritance in the land. They have no way to provide for themselves, always at the mercy of others. And Ruth is all three of these things. She's a foreigner from Moab. She's a widow. Her husband died. She's an orphan. Elimelech died and she left her own parents behind. She has no means of provision for herself. She's utterly at the mercy of God to keep her alive every single day. And yet, incredibly, she doesn't despair like Naomi does. Instead, quite surprisingly, she shows greater faith than anyone in her Israelite family did. Look at these verses from our bulletin that Renee read for us. They highlight her faith in God. Verses 16 and 17 in chapter 1. After being told to go home, Ruth responds, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. Your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more also if anything but death parts me from you. These aren't simply lovely words to repeat at a wedding. They are, but they also indicate even more so that Ruth is rejecting her old identity. She's denying her Moabite ancestry. And embracing a brand new identity. Laying her life, her entire life, into the hands of the God of Israel and his people. She's heard stories of this God and his provision. And he is certain, she is certain he will provide for her and Naomi. This Moabite woman, this person with no important name has greater faith in God than any Israelites we've seen. She's not trying to make a name for herself. She's heard of the greatness of the name of God and just wants to find refuge under him. So they return to Bethlehem and Ruth gets busy working to help take care of her mother-in-law, eager to see God rescue them. In chapter 2, verse 2, She goes to the barley fields to glean the morsels of grain that have fallen to the ground. Hopefully she can gather enough from the ground to make bread for that day for her and Naomi and then they'll just trust the next day maybe there will be some more and they'll have bread for the next. What she indicates here in these beginning of chapter two that she's looking for more than just bread. More than just grain. But she's confident that she will find favor in the eyes of God to find a provider, a godly man who will rescue them. She thinks if this is how God says in his law that he will provide for people like me, I'm going to place myself right in the stream of God's promised redemption. This is inspiring faith. How often when we get into trouble, do we try to scheme ways to climb our way out of our messes instead of just looking to God's word to say, where do I find your favor? It might seem pretty boring, routine, ordinary. It might feel like it's going to make us more vulnerable. Ruth looked like she was becoming more vulnerable by becoming part of Israel. Others around us might think it looks crazy, but God has clearly stated where to find that lasting peace in your life. Will you do what it takes to reject everything else and run to that place? Ignore all the other voices to find rest in God's provision? Ruth isn't just inspiring to us, but even the people around her began to see what was going on. The community marveled at her faith, a faith that transformed her into a full Israelite. And then now in chapter 2, Naomi herself is being brought out of her bitterness, seeing what God is doing right before her eyes, and finally finding hope. But more importantly, there's a certain man that hears of Ruth's reputation and recognizes her godliness. He says of her in chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. A worthy woman. That phrase is the same one that's repeated in Proverbs chapter 12, verse 4. An excellent wife or a worthy woman is the crown of her husband. And also the famous Proverbs 31 woman. An excellent wife or a worthy woman. Same words. Who can find she's far more precious than jewels. Clearly Ruth wasn't worthy because of who she was, where she had come from, what she had done. She was a foreigner, a widow, an orphan. She had nothing to give. She had no reputation of good bloodlines or of beauty that would make her a desirable mate. Her worthiness came from the one under whom she placed her hope. She didn't care to make a name for herself. She was just happy to rest under the name of God. And so in this worthiness, in this beautiful love story, God provided for this worthy woman, a man of equal worth. An uncommon hero in Boaz. We meet Boaz right at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. The name of the book is Ruth because it's following mostly the story from her perspective. But the hero of the story is Boaz. Boaz was a worthy man. The same word used of Ruth. where Ruth's worthiness is quite a surprise because of where she's from. She's from Moab. Worthiness doesn't come out of Moab. Boaz's worthiness is quite a surprise as well because of the context of the book of Judges. Remember that during the period of the Judges, everyone did what was right In his own eyes. Everyone did evil in the sight of the Lord. Leaving us with the impression that not a single person in the land knows God. Or cares about his commands at all. But Boaz is the godliest man we've met yet in the entire Bible. Everyone else has some kind of flaw. Just when you think Abraham's great. Isaac's great. Jacob's great. Moses is great. Joshua's great. All of them. Reveal some flaw. They sin. They make a foolish choice. But as you read through the book of Ruth. Around every turn. Boaz is a man of integrity. In chapter 2 we hear that he leaves gleanings in his field. According to God's law in Deuteronomy 24.19. He doesn't maximize his efficiency for profit. But he trusts God to provide. And leaves extra to serve and bless his neighbors. We hear also that he's especially kind to Ruth, whom he knows to be a foreigner from the land of Moab. He allows her to stay near his servants so she can be protected in the crowd. And in chapter 2, verses 14 to 16, he treats her as a member of his own house. doesn't just give her the extras. He says, come, eat at my table. Eat with my people. Until you are full. And then when you're full, take all the leftovers home to Naomi. And on your way here, take these few extra packs of grain along. Consistent with the law in Leviticus 19 to treat the foreigner living among you as a native born and love him as yourself. More importantly, chapter three reveals to us that Boaz is so committed to following God That he risks his own legacy for the good of Ruth and Naomi. Beyond just giving them the extras, he brings them in to be part of his family. Deuteronomy 25 explains in a lot of detail this law concerning redeeming a deceased brother's land and his family name. So if a man dies and doesn't have any male sons to pass his land off to, it's the responsibility of the man's brother or next closest relative to come and marry his widow and give her a son and that son will not be named after the new husband but the old husband so that his name can carry on in that land. This all sounds rather strange to us but it was quite the merciful provision in these ancient cultures. But it wasn't without great risk. Because if a man could only give that widow one son, and he takes on the name of the deceased brother, then all of that land and all of his land goes to that son, and his own name is lost forever. This is the risk that the closer Redeemer in chapter 4 was not willing to take. Boaz, again showing his integrity, reveals that there's someone closer who has the right to redeem Naomi and Ruth. And he allows that man the chance to take that offer. But the guy says in in verse 6 of chapter 4, I cannot redeem it for myself lest I impair my own inheritance. It was too risky. He might lose his own inheritance. He might not be able to provide two sons, one for Elimelech's name and one for his own name. And so he passes that responsibility on to Boaz. Ironically, he's so concerned about preserving his own name that in his decision, he becomes the character in the story we forget. The man without a name. And all of the others who sought to exalt God's name, deny themselves and just enter into God's redemptive story, have their names remembered for thousands of years. The stories of these three lives woven together urge us to lose yourself in God's story to find redemption in his name. These three people turned from preserving their own names and walked forward in faith, trusting that God had something far better, whether it was like Naomi and Ruth in their despair or Boaz in his prosperity. Each had a different circumstance that could have led them away from trusting God. And they represent various situations you might find yourself in at times in your life. Naomi had lost everything that made her feel valuable. The curse had taken away everything she held dear. Suffering clouded her view of God's goodness and prevented her from seeing God's provision. Which was right in front of her. But she took small, simple steps toward God, and he rewarded that small faith with a growing hope and satisfying rescue. For Ruth, it looked like the path ahead of her was impossible. She had a whole life in front of her, and it was all an uphill climb. The world she was entering into seemed to have nothing to offer her. Every one of the world's worst labels could have defined her. To commit herself to God's people looked crazy, looked dangerous, and yet she trusted that God had something better for her. So she placed herself in the promised path of his mercy to find incredible redemption. And Boaz, though he looked to be the hero, his life leads us to the true hero of the story. He was strong, influential, wealthy, But he surrendered it all and used his privileges to display the heart of God, serving the most vulnerable who look for refuge in God's name. What Boaz did for Ruth, God planned to do for the whole world. For everyone who seeks to find refuge in his wings. We see that in how the book ends. The final verses of this book show us what the book is really all about. Boaz fathered Obed, Obed fathered Jesse, Jesse fathered David. You know, we don't like to read genealogies. They seem rather boring. But why would you end this beautiful love story with a genealogy like this? The point is to move us away from the despair of the book of Judges, where there was no king on the throne in Israel, toward hope and the prosperity of God's Great king for Israel. But we know the story gets even better than David. David turned out to be another sinner that disappoints us like every one of the heroes we see in the Bible. But God promised from Boaz and Ruth, through the line of David, that one day there would be a greater redeemer who will sit on his throne forever. He'll provide redemption for the whole world And Ruth's little, unlikely faith was the seed, was God's instrument to bring about that promised king. That king, you know where this is going, that descended from Ruth, his name is Jesus. Jesus is the greater Boaz. Jesus left his throne in heaven. He emptied himself, became a slave becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He put his own reputation, his own name on the line in order to cover a debt we couldn't pay, to give us homes we couldn't obtain, to redeem us as a bride who was unworthy. We are the foreigners who have nothing to offer. We are the orphans struggling through shame, a widow who carries many burdens, and hides many wounds, yet now we, the church, are His beautiful, redeemed bride, cleansed by His blood, and by His resurrection, lifted up out of shame into His glory. These promises are yours when you lose yourself in God's story to find redemption in His name. Jesus said it to us in so many different ways. Deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. Put your hand to the plow and don't look back. Let the dead bury their own dead. You must hate your father and mother. Whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. This is what's portrayed in the life of Naomi and Ruth and Boaz like them, stop trying to make a name for yourself and wallowing in your bitterness or pitying yourself in your plain, boring, ordinary life. It is in those circumstances that God changes generations. Stop trying to find rest and peace anywhere else in the world. Don't listen to the voices out there that tell you what's the safest, best option for finding, finding God's rest. Place yourself in the promised path of redemption, the shed blood of Jesus Christ, the death-defeating resurrection, and his spiritual presence among his assembled people, the church. Right here is where this story takes place in our lives. Right here is the place where you lay down your ordinary life and say, God, use it. Right here is where you lay down your broken circumstances. You surrender your privilege and your prosperity and you lose yourself in God's story to find redemption in his name. We commit ourselves to one another as a church with the same attitude as Ruth. Where you go, I will go. I will define my life by your life. I will die with you. I will prioritize your good over my own good. May the Lord do so to me and more also, if anything would separate me from any of you. You come here and gain the new identity in Christ, and then you go and do for others what Christ has done for you. You find those who are especially vulnerable, the foreigners, the widows, the orphans. Those are still very vulnerable in our society. Refugees, Immigrants coming into this city wondering, will there be blessing for me here? Addicts who can't escape their own despair. That lonely mom who works day after day nurturing her kids, wondering what is the point of this? I can't see what will result your neighbor who struggles with depression or anxiety or other fears that blind them to the reality of God's goodness. Find them, invite them into your homes. Invite them into this story we play every single week and show them in your life denying yourself and committing to the church family that the greatest hope comes when you lose yourself in God's story to find redemption in Jesus' name. Let's pray. God, help us see the glory of this story being told through your church. As we exalt Jesus week after week, God, help us continue to cast off all the old ways and to immerse ourselves more and more into your story. Even if it looks to the world like we are crazy. We are like Ruth, utterly dependent upon you to provide for us day after day. We have no strength in ourself, no good name to sustain us through into eternity. And so we lay ourselves here today, asking you, God, we place ourselves in your path of redemption saying, God, rescue us, redeem us and make us worthy. We thank you that in the blood and the death and resurrection of King Jesus, we are made worthy in his name. Amen.